As we think about the work of Jesus on the cross, it it doesn't get any better than that. It's the complete work of all that we need to be in right standing before a holy God. As we think about life, life is filled with its challenges, and we all need to be prepared for what might happen next, and not only what might happen next for us, but maybe what might happen next for those we care about. I came across a kind of a, a corny story that kind of puts this in a perspective. Although uh, a married couple had been enjoying their, their new fishing boat that had been inherited by them um, by one, from one of their family members, it was the husband who was behind the wheel operating the boat at all times. Still, he was concerned about what might happen in an emergency. So one day out of the lake, he said, out at the lake, he said to his wife, Honey, take the wheel. Pretend that I'm having a heart attack. You must get the boat safely to the shore and dock it. So she drove the boat to the shore and safely docked it. Later that evening, the wife walked into the living room where her husband was watching television. She sat down next to him, switched the TV channel and said to him, Honey, go into the kitchen. Pretend I'm having a heart attack. Set the table, cook dinner, and wash the dishes. <laughs> Are we prepared for what might happen next and what might happen because of how it might impact somebody else? Uh, last week, as we were looking at God's message to us, we really looked at the two options in life. You can go through in the, your entire life with just realizing all you have is you. Or you can take the option that God has given us is that's not only you, but it's also God. And we actually spent most of the time looking at you and me as well. And it, the picture is not a pleasant picture. Uh, the Bible describes us in no uncertain t- terms as far, far, far from God. No matter how we compare ourselves to someone else who, who looks maybe worse than we do, the Bible talks about our heart being desperately wicked. Who could know it? Even our, even our good deeds in God's eyes are, are like filthy rags before him. But as we spend a lot of time talking about you and, and me, at least what we were, hopefully, if we have now entered into a relationship with God, uh, we, we did spend a little time with but God, but I thought we didn't spend enough time about God, so we're going to look at the but God picture part of it a little bit further. And, and though it's in the text that we're going to look at this morning, and we saw a little bit last week, it's really throughout the Bible, one of one of the fascinating topical uh, Textual message you could do in terms of your own study is get a concordance out and just look at but God, but God, but God, or but the Lord, but the Lord. And you see what happens when someone is not just with a you, but have God encountering them and their circumstances and their their life challenges. And, and so I thought I'd begin with this morning by, by talking a little bit about some of the things that are but God in the scripture. If you have your outline this morning, we're going to just race through a few of them. And, and one kind of relates to just what we remembered through the communion table in psalm forty nine fifteen, it says but god will redeem my soul from the power of the grave for he shall receive me now it really doesn't get any more foundation fundamental than that if if there's one one time when we want god to show up it's when we what when we die would, would we all agree with that i mean if you had to pick at any other time god was going to show up you want to make sure he shows up when you die and you know where you're going that, that the power of the grave to keep you separated from him forever is not the power that overcomes his power. And so the Bible says that he will redeem us from, uh, in our soul from the grave. And the idea of redeeming is to buy back, to purchase us, to set us free. And, and that is fundamental uh, in terms of, of having God part of you in living on this planet and facing death on this planet. In Psalm 73, verse 26, it says, 
my flesh and my heart fail. And then what's the next two words? But God, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So the the very simple summary of that is, but God gives me strength. And as you think about that, there are many times in life where we feel that we are beyond what we can endure, beyond what we are able to handle. And God is the one who is able to give us strength when we feel that our flesh and our heart just can't stand it anymore, that there is strength that comes on if we have but God in our life. In Psalm 19, in Matthew nineteen twenty six, it says, But Jesus, looking at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with who? With God all things are possible. So God is able to do the impossible. So when we think it's beyond hope, we need to recognize nothing is beyond the power of God to give us hope in hopeless situations. And there are times when it seems to be hopeless. It's beyond imagination that anything good could come from whatever we're going through or facing the challenge of life. And here, of course, the most important challenge is can anyone be reached by God? And the answer to that is yes, God is able to reach down and touch any life. Uh, in Luke sixteen fifteen, and I probably should add verse 14 to this as well because the context kind of opens it up. But it's those who come to, to Jesus with a hypocritical heart, thinking somehow they can convince God through their own words or their own merits that they, they, they pass the grade. And Jesus says to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. There are a lot of people in this world who are pretty impressed with themselves. And a lot of people in this world, not only they impress themselves, but other people are impressed with them. But if someone's going to be impressed with you, who do you want to be impressed with you? God. I mean, he, he is the final grader of our lives. And he says, if you, if you are justifying, if you are declaring yourself to be righteous, if you are declaring yourself to measure up, guess what? It doesn't really matter because God really knows what's going on, on the inside. And, and, and in, this is all for free as well is that so often uh, there is a place that we are to give judgment. We, we are to judge people's uh, actions, but what we can't judge is people's motives. And often we can't judge people's hearts because we can't look deep enough in a person's heart to determine why and what they're doing, why, what, why they're doing what they're doing. Would we agree with that? I mean, we have some pretty good guesses at times. I wonder about that person's motive. I wonder why they're doing that. But no matter how much we think we know, we don't completely know. But God knows. He knows our hearts, what's in the inside. First uh, Corinthians 3, 7. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God, but God who gives the increase. And, and that's just a reminder that it's God who makes it happen. Isn't that true? Uh, have you had enough experiences in life where you thought you were in control but found out you weren't in control? Have you, have you had enough experiences that way? Uh, I could show you my hands, and, and um, I don't have a green thumb here, all right? I don't know what color you would call this, but uh, pale, pale thumbs. Uh, but I, uh, there are times I try to produce things out of the ground, and I've been successful in some situations. But I'll tell you, I still have two fruit trees that have now been in my I, well, one of them has been in my house for now nine years, and I still haven't got any fruit from it. Right? And I've done everything. Everybody, you don't have to come to me afterwards and tell me what to do. I've done everything Green Thumb has told me to do. Right? But it, it has not produced any fruit yet. Now, I'm still hoping that God's going to cause the increase. But I've planted, I've watered, 
I've fertilized, I've replanted it, I have put it in different containers, I've done everything, but God hasn't caused the increase yet. And it reminds me constantly that I'm not in control, that God is the one who makes it happen. And then finally, the one I like the, the best is 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-seven. but thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Isn't it a lot more fun to win than lose? Okay, it's much more fun to, to win rather than lose. And we, in the end, win. We, we win in the end. God is the one who gives us victory. And, and so if we, we are just on the you part of the equation of life, we need to recognize that we're going to be on the losing end. But if we are in the and you but God end of the equation, then we win. We get victory from God. So as we think of that as a backdrop is that God makes a difference. God is the one that needs to be the center of our life if we're going to experience what life is to be all about. Well, <clears throat> this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at the, the latter part of what we looked at last week in terms of, well, how does God connect us to himself? This is called the doctrine of, excuse me, <clears throat> salvation, or in, in um, seminary they call it soteriology, in which, well, what is it that, that brings us in relationship with the living God? If the Bible says that we are far from him, well, how do we get close to him? How do we come in connection? And really, there are, there are three tenses in salvation. There's present, past, and guess what the next one is? Future. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're looking at what was, what is, and what will be. We're going to look at the past and the present and future of coming in relation with God. Now, all of us have a past. Everyone here in this sanctuary this morning has a past some of us are still living that past out we are now all in a present condition but i'm not sure where that present condition is in relationship with the living god we all have a future but we're not sure necessarily for all of us what that future will be but we can settle it we can settle our future uh, in the present if we really made a connection with god well let's look at what paul writes to the the believers in, in ephesus concerning what was, what is, and what will be. Now, if you were with us last week, I already talked about what Paul said, what was. And, and I won't even read the text, but in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, he gives uh, uh, four words to describe what we were. We were dead. We were disobedient. We were uh, depraved. And we were doomed. It doesn't get any worse than that. In fact, if we were to colorize that word doomed, we could say we were damned. We were we were headed for destruction, that we had no hope in ourselves. Now, he begins that in Ephesians chapter two, verse one, which says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And that's where we got the idea of dead. He then said, you are disobedient because you are sons of disobedience of the world and the evil one. And then he talked about all the things they did or not all the things, but he talked about their desires only could be described as being depraved because they're they're out of control. Now, sometimes we forget just how depraved people's hearts are. And I, I just wanted to read you some things that, that talk about just one area, which is rampant in our culture, which is the whole issue of, of pornography and how it's, it's just gone amok. The largest consumers of pornography in America today are teenage boys and girls. Nearly 90% of all adolescents have examined pornographic material during the impressionable years between 13 and 15 years of age. So whatever was already polluted got more polluted. 
Did you know that 72% of all junior high boys reported that they wanted to try some of the sexual behavior they had been de- that had been depicted in hardcore pornography? I mean, th- this, is, this is not light stuff here. Did you know that 51% of the UCLA males who were shown images of women being raped later said they would also rape a woman if they could do it without getting caught? You know, no wonder 28% of all college women have experienced either rape or attempted rape since they turned 14. We live in a depraved world. And it's not just because everybody's acted out, but if you were just examine every one of our thought lives, how, how damning it would be to stand before a holy God, to reflect on what's been on the inside, that maybe it's not acted out on the outside, but it's been there. So as we think about that, and the reason I point out to begin with, we'll never appreciate the act of salvation until we look at what our past was. We were dead. We were disobedient. We were conformed to this world and the evil one. The father of this world, the prince of the power of the air, is the, is the evil one, and he is the father of all lies. We were depraved, and we were headed toward damnation. We were doomed. But, but God gave us spiritual CPR. Now, some of you have been trained in CPR. Some of you have even had opportunity to rescue someone with CPR. And if you remember that experience, when they were, they were laid out, not breathing or their heart hardly pumping, if not at all, that they weren't making any noise crying to you to come and help them. You had to go to them and give mouth to mouth and pump that heart. And that's what God had to do for us. We were incapable of saving ourselves. And with that as a picture, it ought to just amaze us with the amazing grace of God to bring us back to life. There are only three uh, written reports of Jesus raising people from the dead. All kinds of miracles, all kinds of healings, but only three recorded times where he actually rose some from the dead. And I actually gave the wrong reference in the first service. But in, in Luke chapter 7, you have widows, the widow's son being raised by Jesus. In Luke chapter 8, you have Jairus' daughter. In John chapter 11, you have uh, uh, Lazarus raising from the dead. And as you think, that, that's the picture physically what God does spiritually. We are dead apart from him bringing us back to life. Well, that's the past. That's what we all were. No matter how we compare ourselves relatively in terms of our sin compared to somebody else's sin, we were dead in our sin. But God. Let's pick it up in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says this. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, you know, Paul, again, is, is that lawyer type that puts phrase after phrase uh, that that amplifies what he is saying. But if we were just to take it at its straightforward uh, statement, what happens in the in the present when we encounter God and we experience that present every day? We still live on this planet and actually for eternity is that we who are dead are now made what alive. That we have real life. Now, what is that life? And we need to appreciate what that life he gives us. The two types of lives that God gives us when we are made alive from our death. Quantity of life and quality of life. Quantity of life is that statement that said so plainly in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave 
He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting or eternal life. Depending on the translation of the verse, uh, the passage that you're memorizing. Uh, Everlasting life, eternal life, life that continues forever. And so we who were destined to eternal separation from God are now brought into eternal presence with God because God made us alive. He gave us spiritual CPR. But it's not just quantity of life, is it? It's also quality of life. In John uh, you know, 10, it says, in John 10, 10, uh, Jesus is not like the thief who comes to kill and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so God gives us quantity and quality life in the present when we come into relationship with him. Now, it doesn't mean it's an easy life. It doesn't mean it doesn't uh, have just challenges. It doesn't mean we're going to have at times even suffering and persecution because we are children of his. But our life takes on a dimension that only can be explained that, that God, in the midst of whatever we're going through, gives us his peace. He gives us his joy. He gives us uh, his patience as we continue on. He gives us self-control. He gives us to all that is needed to live life to its, its maximum condition. Yes, there's the passing pleasures of sin that the world has, but we have much, much more in being connected to the giver of life physically and the giver of life spiritually. So what were we in our journey timeline of salvation? We were dead, depraved, disobedient, and doomed. What are we? We are made alive with quantity of life and quality of life. But you could could check something else on here. Look at verse 6. In verse 6, he says, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the, what places? Heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, many of you, when you come on a Sunday, you have a tendency to sit in the same place. You know, you know, Jim Matson, second row, farthest to the left. Okay, that's where Jim sits. All right. We all have our kind of places where we like to sit. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, though. Some of you are trying to mess with my mind because you'll sit different places. Oh, what happened? They're over here this week. Okay, we, we, we get used to sitting in various places that, that we're comfortable with. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but we need to recognize that that we are also sitting in a place that we don't even imagine. Remember going to school, you had uh, you know, various classes and you had certain people who'd sit in the front row and you had certain people who'd sit in the back row. People who sit in the front row wanted to learn. The people in the back row just wanted to what? Goof off, right? They just wanted to goof off. The people in the middle, they wanted to do both. Now, that's not always true. But basically, people had their seating charges and the teacher didn't say, okay, I'm going to put you in places where I want you to put you. But you had a place where you sat normally. Most of us don't think that we're normally and presently sitting in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, you might ask myself, well, what does that mean? I mean, I don't sense that physically that I'm, you know, in the, in the clouds up there. What does that do for me? He says it in the present tense. He says, seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? And the answer is, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> but but I have, I have a, a guess or at least a suggestion what possibly it could have. And there's much more to it that I could guess. But let me just throw out one thing that it does add to the dimension of our life is that when we go through life and we go through the challenges and the heartaches and pains of life, uh, as well as the joys of life, sometimes, sometimes in the midst of that, if we were to self-examine, we go, I have no idea what's going on. It's just so confusing to me. I can't, I can't put it into some kind of a, a, 
a logical progression or understandable idea. It just, it's just frustrating to me. I can't, I can't put the pieces together. And when we are in that kind of experience, overwhelming love, it's, it's when we're seated not in the heavenly, but on the earthly seats in heaven. Now, if you, if you go to an NBA basketball play, a game, uh, the, particularly the Lakers, if you want to have the most expensive seat, you, your seat is on the what level? The floor level. Now, that's kind of a fun, I've never sat there, but that's probably a fun, I, I've sat there when I've coached and, and played and, and uh, I've you know, been in some high school gyms where I've been on the, the bottom floor and things like that. But it's really not the best seat in the house. Now, it, it's the best seat if you want to see the players sweating and you want to see just really how tall they really are. If you want to see them talk trash to the players around them, it's a, it's a great seat. I mean, it's a great kind of experience. But if you really want to see the game, you've got to be a little what? Higher up. You, you, you can kind of appreciate the action right where you're at when you're on the floor level. But when you get a little bit higher up, you can see the court. And you can see the progression of the plays. You can see somebody open that somebody else did not see. You, you begin to see life from a perspective that's understandable. When we're seated in the heavenly places in the Christ, we now see things from above, not just below. And, and we get a glimpse, even though we don't understand it completely, with what Romans 8.28 is all about. And, and we know that God causes all things to work together for, for good. To those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, that verse, that verse makes no sense if you're seated on the floor level of life. Because there are some horrific things, and I just read some of them earlier in the service. How are any of those things good? But from a heavenly perspective, you begin to, you begin to see how God uses even evil for good. For one, just to cause people to see their desperate need for someone other than just themselves. So this is the, this is, the is of salvation. It's, it's we're made alive with quantity and quality of life. This is the is. We have, a, we have a different perspective to look down at life, not with complete clarity, but see there's, there's more to life than this. And because of that, there's, there's a purpose for everything. And there's a thing that God can use for good in the midst of life that's filled with challenge. Does that make sense? And then he goes on and he says this. He goes, probably the most familiar passage in this section is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the what of God? It is the gift of God. Not something we can work for. We would boast. And I guess you could, again, if you're just trying to summarize some, some high points in this passage. We are recipients of a gift. Um, I think one of the more frustrating things in, in life is when you, particularly when you're younger and you're looking ahead to Christmas and you just can't wait for Christmas morning to open up the what? The gifts, the packages. Well, we get God's gift of eternal life in relation with him now. That gift is ours now. We are recipients of, of that which we don't deserve, and we are uh, set free from what we do deserve. And that's what grace and mercy is. We've received God's grace and mercy now. Mercy is not getting what we deserve, which is God's judgment. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, which is God's blessing. 
And we have that now. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We have everything pertaining to life and godliness because God has given that to us. And so as we desire to live by the Spirit, we experience the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's a gift that keeps on giving. And the more we know how to use that gift that we unwrap, then we experience it more in its fullness. So what, what is the timeline of salvation? There's a, there's a, there's a word and there's an is and there, there's a shall be or will be. The was, what we were, was dead and depraved and disobedient and head, heading for damnation. The is is that we are made alive. We've got, a, we've got a high point, a heavenly position to look at life, and we've been given a gift, that gift that continues to enhance our life and in being used for a purpose to help other people experience life. What is the will be or future? Look at verse 7. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul writes, um, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's an interesting statement, that in the future, in the ages to come, we're going to see more than we see now. There's going to be the exceeding riches and remember, I told you the word riches means unlimited. So how can you have exceeding beyond that which is limited, limitless? But he just wants to expand our mind to say just it's just overwhelming how much he has of what he's talking about. His grace, his undeserved favor, which comes out of his kindness. So I, I and just trying to put some points to hang on. I, I What will we receive more of? We'll receive more of God's grace and we'll receive more of his kindness. In the ages to come. And we have already seen his grace to receive his gift of salvation that we experience now. But in the future, there's going to be more. Isn't that, isn't that just almost, forget the almost, isn't that just mind-boggling? Heaven is going to be so much more than we could even imagine. It's just going to be exceeding riches of undeserved favor. Having things we, we don't deserve, it's just, it's just mind-boggling. There's going to be more grace, more giftedness from God. And that's going to flow out of his kindness. There's a verse in, in Romans that's always amazed me. It says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Now, when I first encountered my sin, I, I, I wasn't thinking about God's kindness initially. I was thinking of God's judgment. I, I need to get escape God's judgment. I know I'm a sinner and it's been made clear to me that God is holy and there is there is judgment coming for those in sin. And I think that is true. All of God's attributes operate simultaneously. And that means as we think about God's wrath and anger, we need to think again out of his kindness and goodness. He gives us a way out. And so we will be just overwhelmed throughout eternity, just how good God is, how kind he is. Now, we don't deserve coming in a relationship with, but no one does. And those who choose not to respond to God's graciousness and kindness are going to be guilty of the rebellion for eternity. But for those who've experienced a taste of it now, it's going to multiply. 
In 1 Peter chapter 2, I believe it is, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, we're going to get a taste now, and we're going to have a feast later. But he does add another verse, because after verse 9, there is verse 10. Two of you are still with me. I need to start all over for the rest of you. All right. After verse 9, there's verse 10. And this is the verse we spent a number of weeks on as we thought about uh, our design. And Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship. We are his work of art. We are his poema, his poem, his, his writing of beautiful words on the canvas of our, our heart and soul. Created in Christ Jesus for good, what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so it's true that we receive more grace, we'll receive more kindness, but we also receive more responsibility. As we understand all of what salvation is, its past, its present, and its future, we understand because we've been blessed, we need to be a blessing. We, because God has done his work in our lives, we need to work for him. Because God uh, has brought us into relationship with him, we want to do everything we can to bring others into relation to him as well. We want, as God has placed us in the church, we don't just attend church, go to church. We are the church, and we need to operate as a church, which means every, every single part of us have a responsibility to do what we can to use our gifts and talents, our design for him. You know, the Bible says actually quite a bit about works. You know, works do not save us, as we've looked in this passage in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Uh, it's not by works, lest, lest anyone should boast. Uh, the Bible does talk about there are types of works that people do do. Uh, there are uh, the works of the flesh, or there's the works of darkness, there's the work of futility. But there's another type of work. There's, a, there's works unto God's glory in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, that we ought to let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our fathers in heaven. We need to recognize that, that the Bible says that the Bible itself equips us for every good work. When we feel inadequate, the word of God guides us in, in doing good work. In Titus, it says that we ought to be zealous for good works. So this is this is our understanding that we are we are called to serve, just like following after Jesus. But what's the point this morning? I just realized I'm out of time. Um, is that we need to believe this and then live it. We need to believe that what what we were was so was so dark that we needed to be brought into light. And now that we're in a light, we never want to go back to the darkness. We need to recognize that, that we have been given life and a perspective from the heavenlies to live life to its fullest. And then we need to recognize that we can look forward to much more in the future. But in the future now, which begins now and tomorrow is the next day of our lives, that we need to see ourselves as servants for him, doing whatever we can to, to demonstrate that Christ lives within us so that people can see Christ in us. You know, some people miss all of what God has for them. I was reading a story about the Titanic. And the Titanic, as you know, that was a ship that could not sink. Well, as we all know, the story, that that was a ship that could not sink, but it did. What's interesting, some of the details I've read is that, you know, they had lifeboats. They didn't quite have enough lifeboats for everybody. But even the lifeboats that they had, not everyone got in them because they chose not to get in them. Well, why did they choose not to get in them? Because when the ship began to sink, the band continued to play its music, the orchestra. And so they think, well, how could this be happening? I still hear this beautiful music. And then for some of them, they, they were uh, 
they began to think back. Well, no, when I got on this boat, they told me it could not sink. So their emotions were still uh, spurred by the, the music, and their mind was still thinking it could not sink. The problem, however, they were all believing a lie. The music was not communicating a message that all was right. There was something that was wrong. The message that they had heard that, that this, is, this is safety, that there was destruction headed. Of course, that's how many people are today. They're still hearing the music of this world. They're hearing the message that this is all there is. There's nothing more beyond this life. And they miss the purpose for their lives now and for forever. And we're called to be a people that will live lives in such a way that they see Jesus in us and want what we have. Let's pray. Father, this is filled with such good news, but but also sobering bad news. Bad news for those who run from it and don't turn to it. And good news for those who respond by trusting completely and fully in the one who came for them. Father, if there be anyone this morning that doesn't know you in a personal way, might today be the day in which they simply say, Lord, I surrender. I give my life fully and completely to you. Forgive me my sins. I want to follow you. It's also a day again which we in a fresh way say, Lord, I'm in. I'm all in to be all that I can for you and your kingdom. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing. If you-